Welcome to Politicus, the only podcast that discusses politics and public service from the Portuguese American perspective. Here we discuss everything from federal policy, local issues, and U.S. Portugal relations with the goal of driving more discussion and awareness of the issues affecting our nation, our community, and what we as Portuguese Americans can do about it. And now, Politicus. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Politicus, the only podcast that talks about things political from the Portuguese-American perspective, hosted by Palkus. My name is Angela Samoz, and I am here with the most awesomest, coolest, most intelligent co-host in the universe, Denise. I beat you on this one. You can't you did, see me. You did. <laughs> Denise Borges. But uh, thank you, uh, Angela. And I am also here with the most... Uh, not the most, the only coolest oh, uh, right. host in all of the universes because we've discovered there's several of them. Oh God! Of no, in, the, in all the galaxies, in all the galaxies. Uh, welcome, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. And we have a San Francisco. I was going to say San Francisco boy. I hope that doesn't come across as being uh, offensive at all. But uh, program director for the city and county of San Francisco, Chris Corgus. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much, Angela and Denise. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to talking with y'all. And Chris, so fellow California boy, I'm a little bit closer to where you are. I grew up in Sacramento, now live in Livermore, spent some time in the Bay Area, and Denise is down in Tulare. But you grew up in San Francisco, is that correct? That's correct. Born and raised, fourth generation on my mom's side, and my dad immigrated over to San Francisco after meeting my mom on a cruise ship where they both worked after... He went to Portugal because he was born in Angola. Um, mm -hmm. So he went back to Portugal after Vincinco de Abril and then found his way around and ended up working on a cruise ship and moving to San Francisco. Very nice. Well, that's a great story in itself. Um, well, we, you know, the consulate of Portugal is in San Francisco and, and obviously there are Portuguese people in San Francisco, but it's not the first place that people think of when they think Portuguese community in California. So tell us a little bit about growing up Portuguese in San Francisco and then what led you to this path of becoming, you know, involved in working with the city, being politically active and that sort of thing. Yeah. So growing up in San Francisco, there was not a lot of Portuguese community here, quite frankly, growing up until about high school, the only Portuguese person I knew was my father. He was part of the IDS down in Half Moon Bay, but that's, you know, about a 30 minute drive. And before we had the tunnel, Devil Slide was not the best thing to be driving in the rain. So getting down there was always uh, tricky. So growing up, um, I hung out with a lot of Brazilians and up until about five or six, I actually thought I was Brazilian because they were the only other group I knew who spoke Portuguese up here. My dad took me to Portugal. Funny. Yeah, he educated me. So visited my grandma, all my cousins, my aunts over there. Really loved Portugal from an early age and go back pretty frequently. Growing up, the big ethnic groups in San Francisco are, you know, obviously the Asian American community, historically the Italian and Irish as well, and obviously the Latino community as well. I didn't really have a good fit. My mom's Sicilian and Irish on that side, but I was always closer to the Portuguese side. And, you know, you, you get the jokes growing up, like, where is Portugal? Like, are you in Asia? Are you in mm -hmm, Latin America? Mm -hmm. So you never really oh, have you're, a clear you're part fit. of Spain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that, that one's good. Um, fishmongering is going to be my profession. All the good <laughs> stuff, right? Um, and I really, you know, most people get down. I really actually just like put a fire in me. Mm. So I got very interested in learning about Portugal, Portuguese history. 
and going through that process and just becoming like the local little area expert on Portugal. And from there, I went into junior college, did an administration of justice degree, thought I was going to do the good old Catholic school thing of uh, going to work for the city as either a cop or a fireman. Ended up transferring down to UC San Diego, did my uh, major in international relations. And we were really lucky to have a center of Iberian studies down at UC San Diego, uh, which I guess makes sense because we're so close to the border with Mexico. And I was able to do a lot of my focus and research actually on Portugal and Angola and Brazil. So I was able to further that interest, came back up after college, went into the police academy Unfortunately, broke my hand about halfway through, so I could not finish. That's a story unto itself. Started working for a local attorney who specialized in municipal law. And that was my first uh, real pathway into public service and learning about, you know, municipal law and like cities have attorneys and all that fun stuff. From there, I parlayed that into a fellowship up in Sacramento where I worked for about a year and a half in the California Assembly as a fellow legislative aide, had some bills passed through the floor, but made some very invaluable connections. Came back down to the Bay Area following that experience, worked in the private sector as an operations manager and as external affairs for our company. And then a job opening up with the city for community benefit district program. I applied for it, got in, and within a year started being the program director and in the meantime, was still doing community activism on the side. And in 2019, still working for the city, Governor Newsom appointed me to the 1A Agricultural Association, which is more commonly known as the Cow Palace, to their board of directors. And I was elected president by my colleagues as the youngest one in the association's history uh, in February of last year. Well, congratulations for that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And so as a program director, did I hear that you, that it's with regards to the benefits programs? Is that the area that you focus on or what, what is your role as a program director? So in San Francisco, they're referred to as community benefit districts, but in California and other areas, you're more likely to hear them as business improvement districts. Mm. And what those are is where a specific area comes together, the property owners agree to put a special assessment on and in California purposes, Assessment is very different than tax, which is very different than fee. So we have to be very clear about that. So the property owners vote in a special assessment. It is collected by the city and county of San Francisco. And then it's redistributed to the nonprofits set up by the the neighborhood. And those nonprofit organizations provide supplemental services to the baseline of the city. So one of my favorite things I tell people is sidewalk cleanliness, obviously a big issue in San Francisco, but other areas in California as well. And they go, why isn't the city cleaning this? What is their responsibility? And, you know, I've become quite a little area expertise on this. And the state of California has a law that the property owner, and in many cases, the tenant based off the uh, lease with the property owner, is actually responsible for the maintenance and cleanliness of the sidewalk. I don't necessarily agree with the law, but that is the law. San Francisco, we have a municipal code that codifies that locally. So I have to explain to folks what their responsibility is and how this these districts can really be an economies of scale for them to take care of those responsibilities. So these districts provide everything from sidewalk cleaning, supplemental safety services, uh, marketing and events, those kind of things. And to get these in, it's a lot of community 
activation and a lot of public meetings. So I look at myself as kind of like a coach. I don't want to be the one in there, you know, throwing the passes or quarterbacking a new formation. I want to be coaching the community on how to be self-sufficient. And that includes navigating the neighborhood politics, but also the fun politics of San Francisco City Hall. Mm -hmm. And Chris, you talked about the the store owner is responsible for cleaning the sidewalk, right? And I think I knew that because I think even as a homeowner, you know, we're responsible for the sidewalk in front of our house. And I'm not sure if that is throughout the state, but at least where we live. And so that obviously makes me think of cleanliness, you know, homelessness, that sort of thing. And you said that you end up having to do a lot of education for people on what is their responsibility versus what's the state's responsibility. And if I was a business owner, one of my first you know comments might be, depending on where I am in the city, okay, well, fine, I can hose down the sidewalk, but there's people sleeping in front of my store, right? And so the homeless issue is, has been a, an increasing problem in the city. So what kind of like education do you find yourself having to do when it comes to homelessness and, you know, what the city's supposed to be doing versus I guess what your department does and that sort of thing. Yeah. So my department's really focused on economic development. And I always tell folks, you know, a lot of these issues are more systemic than what the CBD program can really solve. We're Mm -hmm. one tool in a toolbox to to work on issues. And if, if you think a CBD is going to be the the final solution to fix everything, uh, you're probably going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. It's a tool to help improve uh, specific assets or specific aspects of a situation. So if you want like continual sidewalk cleaning, if you want continual power washing, if you're really focused on that or focused on a placemaking events and you want that sustainable funding source, yeah, we can talk CBD. If you do not want to pay an additional assessment, and I don't blame anyone who doesn't, I'm going to connect you with my colleagues in the city who are going to do their best to address your situation. And that could be anything from connecting you to the public works department where they're going to do you know everything in their toolbox to address the situation or connecting you to the police department and they you know they have limited abilities as well or connecting you with any of our mental health uh, teams that are going out through the city to help folks or connecting you with our HSOC team, which is uh, designed to specifically assist the homeless population. So there's a number of um, interventions the city can put forward that aren't necessarily the CBD program. And it's honestly, a lot of it is education. There are just so many interventions. It's getting people to the correct individual, getting people that number, and then following up with the city departments to make sure they do follow up with the citizen. I think that's very fair. And so within your department, is there maybe a, a big area of focus that you will be looking at for this year, you know, or is there a specific project you'll be working on? What's, what's your area of focus right now? So right now my area of focus is still on community benefit districts. And what we'll be focusing on specifically within that program is really enhancing the cleaning and safety of our sidewalks in CBD zones in San Francisco. And I really think that's always going to be our focus that's the first thing people see when they come to a commercial corridor or a mixed-use neighborhood. And it's incredibly important for the revitalization of the downtown area. And you see that through, um, you know, the budget priorities put forth by the mayor and the board of supervisors. They've been pretty consistent on that. 
for my department as a whole, it's still going to be the economic recovery of the downtown core of San Francisco, as well as the outer neighborhoods of the city. And you saw that through some of the investments our department, but also the mayor made and the board of supervisors made through the last budget cycle as well. Let me ask you a question, Chris, in regards to your appointment to the Agricultural Association by Governor Newsom. One of our issues uh, throughout uh, the state of California and some of the work that Palkus does, and also uh, in collaboration with the California Portuguese American Coalition, which Angela and I are both on the board, is, of course, getting more Portuguese Americans uh, to elected office. And according to our uh, numbers, we have about 150. However, as important to getting into public office through the electoral process, is uh, also folks that are nominated for different commissions and different associations. Uh, everything from uh, the local planning commission, as you know, has you know a lot of say so in local city politics uh, to uh, some of the statewide commissions and statewide associations that are appointed. We don't have a strong tradition, unfortunately, from all of our studies in the Portuguese American community of Portuguese Americans nominated for these boards, these associations, these commissions. What was your process? And tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Sure. So my process actually starts 10 years ago, and it just, you know, it kind of develops naturally. I grew up near the Cal Palace, which is the 1A District Agricultural Association. I grew up going there, going to San Francisco Spiders games, going to Rinaldine Brothers, going to the rodeo. So, you know, it was a big part of like a lot of uh, our childhoods on the south side of San Francisco and in northern San Mateo County as well. And it's a big it's a big deal for the agricultural community throughout the Central Valley and the coast. I met uh, now the state treasurer, uh, Fiona Ma, while she was working in the uh, California Assembly as the speaker pro tem. And she's from San Francisco and her and I hit it off and we became very good friends. Uh, she became a mentor of me and I've just kept in conversation with her over the years. And when I came back to San Francisco, I got involved in community activism, got to know a lot of our local electeds from the Board of Supervisors, State Senate, California Assembly, obviously uh, the mayors over the years, you know, occasionally folks up on the national level as well. Um, there were some board openings up on the uh, Cal Palace board and uh, Treasurer Ma came up to me and said, you know, I think you would be a, a, a good fit for this. Um, want you to look into it. Thought about it very briefly because it was a very exciting opportunity and went to the governor's website and I applied and the folks up in Sacramento, the governor's appointment secretaries are fantastic to work with. They just kind of walk you through the process in terms of what they need, all that fun stuff. And then if you're vetted and approved, uh, the governor appoints you. So if someone is interested in an appointment, whether it be in this case from the governor, but even sometimes uh, from a local supervisor or even a, a city government, the, the best way is to actually look into something that is a long uh, something that you're interested in and then go for it basically right absolutely and there's hundreds of commissions not only on the state level but as you mentioned these on the local level covering all different factors and they do not involve actually you going out and having to run a campaign and it's a great way to learn more about an issue area you may care about or want to learn more about bring your own level of expertise but also give back to the community as well 
Indeed. So it, it would be great to have more and more Portuguese Americans look into this, because as you said, some people, even at a local level, would want to, and want to uh, give back uh, and want to be involved, but don't want to run a, a local campaign. It's, uh, you know, even in small towns of 75 and 80,000 people, you know, it costs thousands of dollars now to run for the local mayor or even the local school board. So there's one way to have a voice. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, the time commitment always scares folks. Now, as you know, as board president, my time commitments, you know, I, I put more effort on it. Like I, I focus a little more in it's a little more time. But altogether, it may come out to about three or four hours a week if I'm really pushing. The big item every month is that board meeting where you're where staff is kind of briefing you on what's going on. You have the ability to ask questions, going over finances and really asking the questions of staff. And at the end of the day, staff is the responsible party for implementation. So it's, it's not the time commitment fear most people think, at least from my experience. I do know on some of our local commissions, it could be a little more burdensome on that factor, but that's, only, that's the only one I know about that is in San Francisco. And so you have a, a, an experience, of course, uh, now with city government. You've had an experience, as you mentioned, working in the private industry. You've had experience also working in the state uh, legislative session for a uh, assembly and, state, and Senate members. And so uh, where we do actually, in, and, and many people, uh, Angela and I have discussed this, where we do have more and more. Portuguese Americans working in uh, for different uh, representatives and different senators, and that's a uh, and that's a good thing. And we actually need to get a, a bit of an association of those folks who work there put together in these different facets. Were you able to connect with other Portuguese Americans uh, throughout your your uh, different uh, aspects of your career? Uh, was there one area that you had more of a contact than other, or not as much? I think when I was starting out, you, everyone has that uh, mindset. They want to be that independent focus and really get get ahead by yourself, really like pull yourself up by that bootstrap. I know that's how my father raised me. I talked to a lot of uh, Portuguese Americans, very similar mindset. Do it. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be mindset focused and I'm going to get there through the sheer force of will. So I didn't really do the best job of networking early in my career with the Portuguese American community, even where we had larger ones in Sacramento. Now, what I've learned over the years is hard work's important, sheer force of will is important, being intelligent is important, but you also have to network and you also have to reach out to folks who, you know, because it takes that full community to really make progress. So I think probably now, like currently coming into my mid-30s, early, the you know, mid-senior level with the city, working with the state's probably the most interaction I've had with the Portuguese-American community. That's something I've been working to improve on. And I, I think we've done a pretty good job. We have a great consul general in San Francisco who's done amazing work in terms of like bringing a lot of the issues of the Portuguese American community even to the forefront and really hosting great networking events. I know he, he did a fantastic job when the president was here back in uh, September. And that was a great networking opportunity where I think a lot of Portuguese and Portuguese Americans in not only the public sector, but also the private sector as well. And uh, do you feel that uh, in the Portuguese American community, because our contacts with Portugal are always touch and go, because um, uh, one diplomat may have a different take on it, another one may have a, a different one, and it changes every four years, as you well know. And so within the Portuguese American community, the contacts that you've made and you've had, do you think that there's enough organization 
to put forth some efforts into even having more and more of a Portuguese-American presence in California. That's question number one. And in, uh, in representative office. And question number two, part of that question, uh, so part B would be, with all this experience, are you thinking of running for office? So part one of that question is, I think there is that potential, but one of the challenges with the Portuguese American community in particular is you have different amounts of generational difference from the immigration to Portugal, obviously. You have folks who have been in the Central Valley for four or five generations. You have folks who have just immigrated from Portugal. Um, you have very different sectors among those immigration and very different uh, belief systems as a result of very different experiences. And it's, it's, it's a good population, but it's not very sizable in any one area other than certain pockets of the Central Valley. And we're, we're very fortunate enough to get, uh, you know, representatives elected to Congress. But if we were going to do it just based off, I'm Portuguese and Portuguese alone without, you know, a broader coalition, it's going to be very difficult in California. We just, we're not a large population per capita in any real municipality outside that Central Valley and Tular. Um, now, on the East Coast, that might be different in Rhode Island, Massachusetts. Um, here, I see it as more we're going to have to build coalitions with, you know, similar uh, Luso speaking, you know, descendants, maybe the Brazilian population, um, Macanese I use a lot in San Francisco as well. And, bring, and bridging those cultural divisions, uh, you know, where, where possible and when necessary. The other thing is, you know, there is a big divide in California between rural, urban and northern and southern California. And some of those issues are going to, you know, be more important than electing Portuguese representation at the end of the day because they involve taxation, they involve businesses, they involve agriculture. And it's going to be bringing folks together to understand the importance in different communities. And running for, for office yourself, is that something that's in your plans? You know, I am 34 right now. And I would say <laughs> if you ask me, if you asked me 10 or 15 years ago when I had the energy of someone who was just fresh out of college, it was like, hell yeah, that was the path to go. Probably I did everything I could to do that. I think one thing I've learned um, over the years is there's a lot of different ways to make a difference. And there's a lot of different ways to have a positive impact, uh, not only for the community, but on broader policy as well, whether that is from running for office or working internally for the bureaucracy, because at the end of the day, bureaucrats are what implement um, or working on a commission. So I think right now where I'm at is determining where my skill sets are going to be best suited at any given time to not only help my neighborhood, help my city and help the, you know, the broader community, especially the Luso American community, but also, you know, having that, presence of mind and humility to admit, you know, when something might be a good idea, when something might not be a good idea. And it also takes a lot of a discernment. Uh, so my answer is I'm not ruling anything out, but at this point in time, I'm very happy doing what I'm doing and seeing the progress we are making. And if I do decide to do anything, I'll be sure to let you and Angela know right away. Sure. Awesome. You know, you mentioned that you were you had been in touch with the consul and then that, you know, there he has done events and, and you have been a little bit more connected. What would you like to see more of, or something done differently that you think could help bring the Portuguese community, I guess, more together from a, and maybe from a political standpoint, but not necessarily, and maybe it's just from a, you know, education and awareness. And this is important for our community because point of view 
you know what I mean? So it might not, not just be a mixer, but I don't know, like, what do you think might work to, to bring some of the different generations together and really get everybody on the same page to understand why it's important to have more representation for our community? I think it's going to be education at the end of the day. It's got to be education. Most folks think of government as this big Leviathan that's like there to either tax them or provide service or whatever your opinion is of it, but, but they don't see them as a participatory process. And in democracy, at the end of the day, it's a participatory process. Mm-hmm. You get the democracy you participate in. And if our community is not participating in it, well, then how big is the process going to be helpful for us? And I, I don't necessarily need to agree with somebody nine mm-hmm. times out of 10, eight times out of 10. It might be four times out of 10. But you know what? My strategy is always focus on what brings us together rather than separates us. And from an education so, standpoint, no, I think that's great. From an education standpoint, do you think it's like a series of town hall events in different communities or, you know, they could, that could be virtual as well. What, in your experience, what has worked well to do that sort of thing? I think it's town hall events and actually bringing folks who can speak to community and mm-hmm. speaking to like what their impact was like based off, you know, their investment and like our time is an investment. And I think that's something, you know, a lot of folks, you know, do realize is time is an investment. Time is money especially if you're in some of the industries that are very labor intensive, like agriculture, time is money. I'm going to give up two hours of a Wednesday when I could be working Mm -hmm. versus going to this board meeting. What's my invest, what's going to be the return on that investment? And that might not be, and it's not going to be monetary and public service. It never is. It's going to be overall uh, the benefit to the community and it might be a change in policy. And one place I would encourage folks to look at is doing little town hall seminars with Portuguese electeds on the local level, the most important items are on that local level. And if I was in the Central Valley, which I am very much not, but if I was, you would want to get a few prominent Portuguese Americans together on the who are local representatives, maybe no higher than state level, and just talk about their path and why serving on these commissions and serving on these local bodies that are not elected are so good. And then oftentimes those commissions and local bodies, they're a good breeding ground. If somebody says, you know what, I really do like doing this to like learn about running campaigns, or maybe they get appointed to a school board and run that route. And I would encourage folks only really focus on issues you care about. Don't focus on the title, focus on the issue. You mentioned something that I think really gets at the heart of why a lot of people aren't involved. And it's probably not just in the Portuguese community, but generally is you know, I could spend two hours working or doing something else. Why would I take time out of my day to go to this school board meeting or city council meeting? You know, because you also have parents that have kids doing extracurricular activities. They got sports, they've got, they're in the school theater. They're, you know, they're a million different things. I feel like way more than we, as when we were kids, right. Or and even, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So the demands on people's time is just so much greater these days. And so to your point, really helping them understand the benefit. Like if you go to this meeting, here's how it's going to help, or here's how it's going to benefit you, your family, as well as your community, because these are going to be the issues we're talking about. So I think being more explicit in, in having those kinds of messages, I think uh, is really important. So I'm glad you raised that. I would say one of the things I've noticed, and this might be like a particular Portuguese trait is just, is the level of humility is very high. 
Um, and those of us who have been raised very Portuguese have been raised like, you know, you don't really brag a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not a really braggadocious culture. It's, it's just, you get down, put your nose to the ground and do the work. And I mean, I even find this now in my like current position, both on the state uh, appointee, but even with the city is I'm not a necessarily someone who's going out and going to fly my own flag and look for credit and say, I did this, or we did this together. I just let the results speak for themselves. Right. And I think it's going to take a few folks to, you know, humbly and, you know, with a lot of humility, acknowledge like, you know what, I was able to accomplish this through my participation in this process. You know, and there's a whole bunch of things I can point to that I don't think would have occurred if I did not become a commissioner or director for the Agricultural Association or if I was not in this role with uh, the city. And But, you know, we have to be able to tell those stories, um, you know, correctly and with humility. Mm-hmm. I would have a caveat to, to your assessment of our humility. I feel like we're not braggadocious to other to non-Portuguese, but I think to ourselves and to each other, we are. That, <laughs> I mean, I'll, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. I was going to ask you know, one question regarding the, um, when you talked about coalitions with other uh, folks of um, other Portuguese uh, speaking countries, uh, whether it be the Brazilians or Cape Verdeans, quite a, there's a few, not many in California, but other parts. But what about we've discussed this with actually elected officials, and I'd like to get your take on someone who's worked with elected officials and works with them continuously. What about the coalitions with the Hispanic community? They are the number one as far as numbers community in the United in the United States, of course not, but in in California, the United States are also very very growing uh, by leaps and bounds. But in California, and we can see that by the elected officials in Sac- in Sacramento from the Hispanic community. What about in certain areas? Because that's what actually has happened. That is one of the reasons why we have Portuguese Americans, three from the Central Valley in Congress, is because of the alliances that they've been able to make with the Hispanic community, or else they would not be able to get elected. How about elect, uh, going through other communities, non-Portuguese uh, related, and uh, these coalitions? What do you feel if someone who's worked with with the different uh, different elected officials, how these coalitions with their ethnicities, they have a lot in common, because although sometimes the issues with the Portuguese American community, or especially in certain parts of the state, Portuguese Americans uh, have uh, a different take uh, on different issues. However, if there's one community that we have cultural and even religious connotations with is the Hispanic community. What are your thoughts on those coalitions as well? Well, I grew up in San Francisco in uh, the Excelsior neighborhood, which was predominantly Hispanic growing up. Most of my friends to this day are either uh, immigrated here from Mexico, El Salvador, or their parents did. My girlfriend right now is from Mexico City. Uh, So, yeah, there are a lot of cultural similarities there. And I'd be, uh, you know, I'd be flying if I didn't admit that. I'd say the first thing to acknowledge with the Hispanic community, it's a very large community. And there's a lot of cultural differences within it. And there's a lot of political differences within it. Um, For example, uh, someone from Cuba may have a very different opinion of something than somebody from Nicaragua. And it's being able to navigate that and understand that. So I'm all for coalition building. Actually, one of the groups I work very closely with and typically get along with the best, even when we're not in agreement, is our uh, local Hispanic community. And I think it is a natural partnership. I think um, that's you know, something that we talk a lot about. And I wonder, I was just sitting here thinking, 
at what point is our community going to be truly open to those coalitions? Because, you know, sometimes we've talked about opening our arms to the Brazilian community, right? Because we share a language, um, there's a lot of similarities, and we still have a, a large contingent, unfortunately, in our community that's like, well, no, you know, if we if we do that, then they're going to take over and then it'll be it'll be all Brazilian and the Portuguese will disappear, which, you know, it's a valid concern, probably. But I mean, that doesn't mean it absolutely will happen if we all work to make sure that it doesn't happen. So I well, I, I love the idea of coalitions. I feel like we our community as a whole is still very resistant to it. And maybe yeah. that's one of the one. Maybe that's one of those town hall discussions where we talk about here's how it will benefit us more than take away from us. You know. Yeah, yeah it's always going to be that scale at the end of the day. Is as you put perfectly, Angela. Benefit versus detraction. I will mm-hmm. say, you know, I understand where the concern comes from. You know, I, I grew up in a town where I was essentially the only Portuguese person. Really, the last Portuguese person elected in San Francisco um, was from the Central Valley, and it was the district attorney. Uh, Freitas, who was not able to secure the conviction of uh, Dan White after he killed Mayor Moscone and Harvey Milk. That's not necessarily the best legacy to have in San Francisco <laughs> from a, from a right. cultural standpoint, right? And I understand the frustration. You know, I've been thrown into different ethnic groups growing up my whole life, and I'm incredibly proud of being Portuguese. It's one of the things I like. If you look at my office in the thing, there's, you know, I have my soccer scarves. I have my flags everywhere. It's like a little Portugal in there. And, you know, it's, it's something I get very passionate about, too, is when, you know, we get lumped in with something or like, oh, you're Brazilian or you think like this or think like this. I'm like, no, I'm Portuguese and this is the differences. And I'll go into it and I could talk, you know, hours upon hours of it. But at the end of the day is being, you know, self-focused and being isolated. Is that going to help us at the end of the day? Is that mm-hmm. going to get the results that we need? And yeah. at the end of the day, the, my question isn't. Am I proud to be Portuguese? Am I not going to speak the language? Am I not going to the festas? Am I not going back to Portugal? That's not the, that's not the question. The question is, what can we do as a we? And that's a collective we, Portuguese community, everybody, everybody who's an American, who everybody who's voting, everybody in the community. What can we do to improve the lot of everybody, which includes us? It's it's not we're not an island. We're part of this. Mm-hmm. That's a great point, and I couldn't think of a better point to to end on but I, I am going to ask one more question which is something that we ask all of our guests and that is uh, some bits of advice that you would have for any young Portuguese American out there that maybe has some secret aspirations to run for office or you know volunteer on a committee or get involved they, they don't know how to do it but they know they want to get involved in politics somehow some way so what would be your advice to that person as they are thinking about their options First, it would be understand that every individual um, who's thinking about this is going to have a different reason they're thinking about and understanding that. So just generic advice is not necessarily going to lead anything. But first thing, if I was going to give any, would be reach out to trusted mentors, either in this community or, you know, in other communities as well, who have done it before and ask them what's their experience doing what you want to do. 90% of people I would think are good. They want to help you. You just have to let them let your no intentions. I've had folks reach out to me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, asking me questions. I don't know these people. I've never met them before, but I give them the best advice I could. Um, the next thing would be, you know, start on something you can control. Too often we, 
go for something big, bold, powerful. We want that headline. We want to do something massive. But you know what? Starting with like sweeping your corner or clearing your gutter is like the quickest way to make change. Why? Well, Mm -hmm. cleaning your gutter prevents flooding and flooding is going to be a problem down the line. And just thinking in terms of small incremental change and then building off that is massive. And then of course, you know, read current events, follow the news, stay up to date on it and never, you know, doesn't matter if you're extroverted, introverted, don't be afraid to ask questions. Be comfortable with who you are, but ask questions. I love that. Um, And with that, I will say thank you so much, Chris, for your time today and sharing your story. And I hope that our listeners have been uh, encouraged and inspired in some way. And so we just really thank you for your time. No worries. It's a pleasure being here. And it's great talking to both of y'all. Appreciate it. And thank you, Dinesh, as always. And thank you you to our listeners out there who joined us for another episode of Politicus, the only podcast that talks about things political from a Portuguese-American perspective. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with friends and family so that more people can be a part of the conversation and perhaps even be a future guest on the podcast. If you would like to be a guest or know somebody who should, please email us at palcus at palcus.org. That's P-A-L-C-U-S. P is in pop six. <laughs> and uh, so we hope to hear from you. We are very open to lots of different subjects and, um, and, and topics and individuals. So we definitely want to hear from you. And if you can subscribe, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, Palkus podcast channel, please do so now. And if you have an extra minute, please leave us a review on iTunes so that more people can discover us and join the conversation. And with that, we thank you both again. And until next time, thank you. Thank you. Muito obrigado. Deus. Thank you for listening to Politicus, the official podcast of Palcus, the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States. Palcus is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese American community at large. To learn more about Palcus and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palcus.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palcus at palcus.org. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palcus.